good when you are. <laughs> Lisa Girardi, ladies and gentlemen, that is how you start a show. I'm Stormy Bonantoni. This week on Game Misconduct, we're checking in with Sportsnet's Christine Simpson. Christine shares how a job in marketing at the Hockey Hall of Fame turned into a lengthy on-air career, which included an out-of-the-box first appearance on the U.S. national stage. The next thing I know, I'm being whisked off to the makeup room and I'm sitting beside uh, Barry Melrose getting makeup touch-ups done to, to make my debut on ESPN. And I'm thinking, what is happening right now? She explains why feature reporting is her favorite part of the gig. To me, when, when people decide, especially if it's big, tough hockey players that everyone thinks are invincible, when they, when they decide to share those parts of them that, you know, aren't always the easiest to share, that to me can sometimes be the most impactful ones. We also talk life and work advice, her family tree, and we go straight to the source for a Wikipedia fact check. Did you make a guest appearance on Friends? No, and that okay. is, that's in my Wikipedia. It's in your Wikipedia. Where it got there, and I don't know how to, <laughs> how to fix it. Then in VGK land, the Golden Knights put the regular season in the rear view and have their sights set on Stanley. Alyssa and I give you a round one preview of Minnesota, goalie talk, and more. Time now to welcome you in to Game Misconduct. We are in our regular season finale episode of Game Misconduct today. Uh, the Golden Knights rounded out the regular season as the only team in the NHL to have 40 wins this year. So um, second place in the division. Still a little bit weird to me that that works that way, <laughs> that even though the Golden Knights had, uh, had the most wins, actually, in the league, that they didn't even win their division. But um, it was a really, really exciting regular season, Alyssa, and now getting ready for, for playoffs. It's a whole new season. Yeah, it's mid-May and it feels like it feels like the middle of winter and the middle of summer at the same time. I have just no concept of time right now. So it feels like playoffs came up really quickly, but it, this also feels like a really long season. So <laughs> yeah, I talked to Jonathan Marcheseau about that the other day, actually. I was like, did it feel long or short to you? And he said that there were times where, you know, you're playing every other day and it's going along pretty fast. And then th you hit a stretch there where you're like, oh my gosh, is game 56 ever going to get here? But it finally has. And just like the Golden Knights are elevating their game in the postseason. We on this show are elevating our game as much as possible too. got a stud guest for today's show. Yes, we chat with Christine Simpson, who is a ringside and features reporter for Sportsnet. She is also on Hockey Night in Canada. She's been on a ton of broadcasts in her career. Uh, people in the United States have probably seen her on ABC, ESPN, NBCSN, NHL Network all the time. Uh, she comes from a sports family. Her mother qualified for the Olympics as a sprinter when she was younger. Her dad played for the Western Mustangs and her brothers, Dave and Craig, were both former players. Craig, obviously a longer NHL uh, career and currently on Hockey Night in Canada and also a former Spartan, which I, of course, bring up to her. One thing I'm, I'm, I wish that we would have asked her when we chatted with her, just like, what's it like, you know, working with your brother sometimes? because do you have that kind of sibling back and forth? I know my brother and I, whenever we've had to work on projects together, we have that. I, I wonder how many siblings can really like be professional with each other and not just want to like snap, be like, I'm calling mom. 
Because <laughs> I don't think you ever really grow out of the like sibling kind of back and forth. So I feel again, it's it's a good thing too that you could you always have your sibling in that way. But I don't know how professional my brother and I would be because I think at times they'd probably just like yell at each other, which is obviously unprofessional in a work environment but no I just think of like how funny commercial breaks could probably be but she is somebody that I I really really look up to in this business she's so gifted at what she does and uh, can't wait to share this conversation with Christine Simpson There's no way in a million years you would ever remember meeting me because you had a very busy day. Um, in, in Calgary last March 8th. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. You just you go. just made Stormy's. I oh should not day, I'm, not week. You probably made Stormy's year. Life. <laughs> Life. How could I forget that day? Cause it was the last hockey game I did for quite a while. Of course, it was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, international. That was that was the day, <laughs> Sunday, March eighth, in Calgary, the Flames versus the Vegas Golden Knights. It was historic for us because it was our first ever all female broadcast of an NHL game, and we had worked so hard and for so many months, you know, to make it happen. It was myself, Cassie Campbell, Pascal was our analyst, and Leah Hextall, uh, our play-by-play, and you know, our whole crew filled with women. And we were just so excited. Like the lead up to that game was, was just amazing. And then the high from that, I'll never forget flying home from Calgary on March 9th. And yeah, a couple of days later, the, the world that was shut the point. down. Yeah. And we were all like, okay, this will last a couple of weeks. We'll be back yes. for the start of playoffs. And now here we are over a year later. Yeah, it is hard <laughs> but we don't need to focus on that part of it. No, we don't. But yes, I do remember meeting you. That Stormy was so excited to talk to you about that. So I'm so glad <laughs> yes, that Stormy because- has the moment of you remembering to meet, awesome. meeting her. Well, because I was such a nerd and I just remember you being so kind. And what really actually stood out to me so much, though, about you coming down and doing your hit in that same area where I was stationed was that not only was it the three of you on air that were the all female broadcast, but it was the whole production, like your camera woman and a producer. producer, Director, like it was. And we were saying like after the game was over and of course I always go into the truck, you know, to say hi to my producer and director. And I thought, well, there were a lot more tears and hugs than there usually are post game uh, in that particular trailer uh, after the game, just because we were all so excited and just so proud that we pulled it off and and so proud that there were so many women that were that were also just doing their job right like right we we'd all been doing this in many different ways and all on different broadcasts but it was just bringing us all together to do it on the same one um, that that made it so cool so you know you never want these things to sound like they're oh it's just like it's a you know, a token day and they kind of make, it's like, yeah. no, we, this is what we do. It was just kind of neat to do it all together on the same broadcast. So yeah. Oh, I'll never forget that day. And I totally <laughs> remember you meeting me, Stormy. But I was going down to do an interview with Katrina LeMay Joan, um, the Olympian, and she's from Calgary. So she was my guest and yep. I remember seeing you there. 
Amazing. That day was so fun. And like you said, it was so cool because it wasn't like, oh, we need to find a woman who could do the graphics or the stats packages or to spot. It was just, okay, let's find the women who are already doing this. And it's, you know, these women have done this a ton of times and now we're just going to put them all together. And it's not like anyone's only being given this opportunity because they're a woman. It's just they're being brought together because they are. And it's just people doing their job. And it's really cool to, I think a lot of people don't realize how many women are behind the scenes because there's people like you and Stormy that are forward facing, but there's so many women behind social accounts and community relations and marketing and on the TV side. And it's really in every part of the sports world now, which I think a lot of people don't see that. Yeah. And, and I will say, I'm so glad to see that there are so many, certainly more and more than when I started, because that wouldn't have been the case early on, you know? You know, I started day one with Sportsnet, and that was 1998. And uh, I can tell you, when I was in the NHL dressing rooms, you know, doing my job, there weren't a lot of other women. So that's the one thing that I do love to see is that more and more, you know, I, I love when I'm not the only woman in the room. And I love that more and more women, you know, go after it and because they can. They see it as an option because really growing up, you know, I didn't necessarily when everyone says, oh, is this was this your dream job since you were a little girl? I'm like, no, it never dawned on me. I mean, and, and even me growing up in a hockey family, right, with two brothers who played and we watched hockey all the time. And I was you know, my life was very entrenched in the game, but it never was. Oh, yeah, someday I'm going to work on Hockey Night in Canada because. Because I was watching Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night and there were no women there. So, you know, it is one of those and you, you hear it all the time, but you do kind of have to see it to be it. You have to sort of feel like that is a possibility. And, and again, whether it is on air or behind the scenes, it's just wonderful that so many women now know that really, you know, any anything is an option, any kind of a job. There, there's There's no reason why you can't. And something too that I thought was so unique um, learning about your story and your background is that like you started at Sportsnet in your 30s, right? And you didn't actually get your broadcast start until your mid or so 20s. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I started at Sportsnet. I was 34 years old, which is, you know, like 102 in television years. So I was... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Before you go forward, I have to tell you, when we were talking with Megan Chaka last week, I said the same thing that like when I first got started, I'm you know, 22 or something. I'm like, I'm already 50 in broadcast years because that's the way it jumps for women. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so true. No, you can, you always see men. I think of like a lot of the news anchors, right? Like they're, you know, gray haired men. And that's the, you know, that's the look that you want. Well, they don't want that in women. So, um, right. <laughs> the standards it's changing. It is. But changing. yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, that proves to you, this was not a, the career path. Like I, I did not say as a young girl, this is what I wanted to do and went to journalism school to do it. Not at all. I had done, I mean, I, I, I did a lot of different things before, a lot of it in marketing and PR. And I will say that the job that I had working at the Hockey Hall of Fame here in Toronto was probably the one thing that kind of moved me towards that direction, just because like I'd, I'd worked in marketing and PR. So for the first time when I was working at the Hall of Fame as the marketing manager, it kind of combined my, my love of hockey. And by that point, you know, connections certainly in the game be it through my my brothers or just, you know, working in sports, um, you know, with the PR and marketing side and the hockey side. So my love of hockey and my experience in marketing and PR came together. But that's where 
I first started then getting opportunities on air, mainly because part of my job was um, you know, sort of the media spokesperson on behalf of the Hall of Fame. And it opened in Toronto the, at um, June of 93. And, and it was a pretty big deal at that time. And so we had not only you know, camera crews from all across Canada coming to do the story on this brand new Hockey Hall of Fame, but we had crews from all over the world come and they would always sort of push me. Oh, Chris, there's an, you know, good morning. America's here. They want to do a story <laughs> on the hall. Go talk to them. So I kind of was just thrust into the position of speaking on behalf of the hall. So I would often be it take a host or a producer on a tour of the hall and talking about the history of hockey and showing them around, you know, the trophies and all of that. And I would often have producers say, gee, you know, you really you know, you're hockey and you seem really comfortable in front of a camera. Have you thought of maybe a career in TV? And of course I'm like, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like what would ever make you think of that? But I guess you, you hear it enough times and you start thinking, Oh, maybe there, there are opportunities. And I, I got my first job really outside of the hall of fame. The first job with a team when the Leafs hired me as their in arena host which of course every NHL team has now, but that was the first time the Leafs ever had like a, a woman's voice in their arena. Um, so I was the one, yeah, doing the contests in the stands and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'd work at the Hall of Fame all day, take the subway up to Maple Leaf Gardens and do game nights there for three years. So also that just, you know, being in, you know, with a microphone in my hand in front of a live crowd, Little did I know all of those experiences were just helping me get comfortable speaking in front of people and speaking with a, with a, a mic in my hand. And then it was only because Sportsnet was a brand new sports network launching in 1998. And I cobbled together a VHS tape of stuff that I had done at the Hall of Fame <laughs> and they took a chance on me. So it's kind of crazy, though. Yeah. In your mid 30s to start in TV. I have a million follow-ups for you here, <laughs> but first off, just because the last note you said there was that you sent in a VHS tape, how tough was that to edit? I always had to find places. Um, and luckily in Toronto, there are, there would be a lot of like TV production places that I would have to come in. I remember I'd have little post-it notes with, you know, time codes of this and that, and to be able to, you know, okay, could you do that? And then of course I had to get duplicates made of these VHS tapes that I would be sending out to people once I did decide, Hey, this, this could be, you know, kind of a cool career if I could ever get my foot in the doors somewhere but yes um vhs tapes and vcrs i'm actually very surprised you even know what those are oh, stop <laughs> yes of course but i just think now it's so simple we send a link right oh, over to anybody yes. in the world that we want absolutely you have yeah. to track down addresses names of who's doing yep. what send them all out so and whole, physically yeah, you know, physically, physically edit oh, i remember going reveals. to courier offices after <laughs> getting these vhs tapes and sending them all over the place and just hoping oh you know maybe someone will take a chance yeah. on me so all you college and high school kids listening do not complain about having to edit your reels on premiere and email yeah, them me. out you don't know how easy you don't know have it now that's right we had to work hard to even get our foot in the door 
<laughs> and I'm going to try not to take this on too many tangents, but I do just have to ask a couple questions about your time at the Hall of Fame. And I, I understand that you traveled around with the cup a good bit as well. So I'm hoping maybe you can give us either a couple fun facts about the Hall that are interesting that we wouldn't know, or maybe your most interesting story taking the cup somewhere in someone's reaction. Oh, I have a couple. Um, well, and actually, you know what, in, in some ways, well, I really did get my um, U.S. Broadcast Network debut uh, on ESPN because I was traveling with the cup. So they had asked me to go to ESPN to Bristol, Connecticut, you know, because ESPN had the rights then. This probably was 1995. Um, and so the, old, the idea just was, yep, they wanted the cup on set. Steve Levy was the host then of all their hockey broadcasts. So they wanted this, the cup to be on set. It was during the playoffs. It was spring of 95. So Chris, can you take it down? Sure. No problem. So, you know, I'm traveling with the cup, which was always cool. You know, it comes in its own big case and all of the customs people um, in Toronto at the airport here, most of them would know what it was. And of course they'd be, well, we, we must see it, you know, before we'll let you take it. <laughs> Quick photo, want. right? Just to make sure. Take it with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I go to Bristol, Connecticut and they had invited all of their staff at ESPN just to come in and, um, you know, get their picture taken with it too. So I'm just standing by the cup. And of course, everyone's just asking you questions about a bit of the history of it and any kind of stories. So I'm just sort of standing there and talking to a lot of the staff and answering a lot of their questions. And the next thing I know, their coordinating producer, actually Larry Christensen coming over and saying, yeah, okay. So those are some cool stories. Um, we want you to be on with the cup at you know, <laughs> intermission. Steve Levy was going to interview you about what it's like to travel with the cup. And the next thing I know, I'm being whisked off to the makeup room and I'm sitting beside uh, Barry Melrose getting makeup touch-ups done to, to make my debut on ESPN. And I'm thinking, what is happening right now? And luckily it happened so quickly that I... I, I didn't even have time to be nervous because it was just like all I did. He just asked me a lot of the same questions that the staff had asked about what is it like traveling with the cup? And I had a couple of cool stories and um, yeah, so that's how I made my ESPN debut. And ironically, because I had done that, and as I said, that was three years before I got into broadcasting at Sportsnet, but I kept in touch with the people at ESPN and I would put together VHS tapes of <laughs> things that I was doing through the hall and always just, you know, hey, Larry, just want you to know, here's what I'm up to. And I remember getting the call saying from him, saying like three years later, saying, kiddo, uh, we want you to work some games. And I'm thinking like, like you couldn't plan that if you tried. Uh, yeah. It was just sort of being in the right place at the right time, but also taking the opportunity that 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 presented itself by doing that. So, yeah, that's that's one of my best stories of traveling with the cup. What is, that's a great story. Yeah. With the cup. <laughs> and I always say when luck meets hard work and opportunity, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. You need to yeah. do all of the above and um, yeah, take the opportunity when you have it and and be ready for it. Right. Just try and do everything that you can to prepare for that moment. Yeah. Because you can't prepare for the right place and the right time. But when it comes up, you better be ready for it. So you've touched on this earlier in the interview, but you said, I never thought I would be doing this when I was a little girl. And I'm curious, were you just maybe raised in a household that 
taught you, okay, you can do anything that you want to do. And that was what fueled you of, of course I can be on TV. Of course I, I know hockey. And were you just maybe being raised around hockey and, you know, knowing your stuff where you just brought up in a place that you were really just an equal to your brothers? Yeah, very much so. And the funny thing too, cause you know, my, my younger brother, Craig, who ended up playing in the NHL for 10 years and who works with me now at Sportsnet and Hockey Night. And a former Michigan State Spartan. Yes. Oh, Ooh, go green. Going down to East Lansing and, and oh, we can have there. some offline stories about that. Wow. <laughs> All the crowds and the bands and oh. stuff like it was just such a great atmosphere. Don't Amazing. get her so, started, Christine, because she okay. will sing the fight song. <laughs> I will. Oh, Stormy has video of it that will never see the light of day <laughs> if I have awesome. anything to do about it. So that is awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, so Craig, of course, ended up uh, playing in the NHL. My older brother, Dave, was um, drafted by the New York Islanders, played in their farm system for a while before deciding, nope, this isn't for me. But even that, I would just say like hockey was a big part of our family's lives, but we didn't like, it was no big deal. Like, you know, you would talk about hockey, like you, you would talk about, you know, my dad traveling the world, doing international development stuff or my mom who was a teacher, you know, when she first started out, I mean, it was sort of like, it wasn't the, the, be all end all. And it's interesting. I'm thinking particularly for my brothers, because now you do see so many hockey parents who, you know, my kid's going to play in the NHL and I'm going to send them to all of these different programs and camps. And because if they don't do that, then the right people aren't going to see them and all of that. Whereas, you know, the, the boys weren't allowed to go to practice on Sunday mornings because that's when we went to church. And, uh, you know, they played baseball. They played football. Um, they just happened to be really good at hockey. And so, you know, scouts find you when you are. But we didn't really, like, look up to it as, oh, my God, this is the, you know. So whether it be on TV or, or the boys playing it, um, yeah, you know, if that's what you decided you wanted to do and you could work hard and get there, then that's great. But, you know, my brother Dave is the best example. My older brother, um, you know, he was Canadian Major Junior Player of the Year in his junior hockey and was a really great player. But, of course, happened to be drafted by the New York Islanders just as they were starting their dynasty of umpteen Stanley Cup. So it was a tough lineup to, to crack. So he, you know, he went to training camp couple of years played in their farm system for a while and just thought okay hockey's given me all I need and he went back to university went to business school and now is a is a professor teaching business you know so yeah I think a little a little perspective maybe goes a long way but for sure my parents encouraged me to to do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, it's certainly the idea of what that could be changed over the years. But the beauty was, I think it wasn't that I had this um, one goal leading to something because I knew that I had every opportunity, like the world was my oyster and just had to figure out what that dream job is. And ironically, the dream job came, you know, so much later in life than many do in their early twenties, but everything I did leading up to that point, I would say in many ways helped me with what I'm doing now, whether it's building confidence or building contacts or just building poise that you need when you're, when you're on air. 
Um, so yeah, it, it worked out perfectly, but I am the accidental journalist. I did not plan this and uh, it just worked out well. And that's such a important thing that I feel like we keep coming back to is not getting that tunnel vision and not setting one goal and being like, okay, this is this is where I need to be. And people decide that so young and you don't really know who you are or what you want to do when you're 16 or 17. It's you you have lived so little life. And do you feel like not having that pressure from your parents to maybe more so that's a question for your brothers, but not having that pressure of this is what you need to do and this is what we decided that you're good at as a kid it's just hey you're gonna grow up and you're gonna want to do different things and that's okay absolutely absolutely I feel that helped me you know along the way for sure and it also too and I think because I do speak to a lot of young women who reach out to me now and you know just want to know like how did you get into business and what would your advice be to me and to your point, and even maybe even to the point of uh, our game in Calgary that we did with all these women in all these different roles, I've I've often met with young women who, as as we've said, like we are the faces they see on TV. So maybe they start by thinking, well, that's what I want to do. I want to be an anchor, or I want to be a reporter, but until you really learn the business, like, I don't know, maybe you want to be a producer, maybe you want to be a director, you know, maybe you want to be like, there are so many other opportunities, or maybe you want to work for a team, maybe you want to work, you know, in the PR department of a team or in the event department, like, there are just so many fabulous opportunities that I don't think a lot of people who just see the sport or any sport from the outside or, you know, or on TV, they don't know, as we know, all of the people that go into making that happen. And I just think, you know, the more you learn and, and have your, your mind and your eyes opened to what those jobs are, because everyone's like, oh, you know, well, I, I love sports, so I want to work right. on TV. And I'm thinking, OK, OK, and that's that's fine. But like, do you really love it? Because you're going to live it 24 <laughs> seven during your season. You're going to work every weekend for us, especially in Canada, on Hockey Night in Canada, every every weekend uh, you're going to travel around, you know, North America in, in a normal year. Um, you're going to be away from your family. You're you're going to miss birthdays and weddings and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so for some people, as much as the idea of doing this seems exciting, um, it's obviously it's not cut out for everybody because of, of what it does entail. Now, when you love what you do, you know, for me, games are one thing, but I think the features that I do are the, are the thing that I, I love the most. So when it is a big story, when there is a big trade, um, and I have to just drop everything and get on a plane to go and do an interview with that person, I'm happy to do that because I want to be the person to talk to that player who just got traded or, you know, has a big story that they decide that they want to tell. But yeah, you, you miss things. Um, nine to five, Monday to Friday is, is <laughs> not, that? as I don't need to tell you ladies. Um, so it's not for, it's not for everybody, but again, it's just about learning what it is to know if it is the right fit for you. That's something that I feel like I communicate whenever I talk to students now. And I mean, I'm still relatively new in the business, but that's always a top of mind issue, in my opinion, is that like you do have to love it. And it's awesome when you love it, that you are willing to do that. But like New Year's Eve, Christmas, you miss those things. Um, 
But in terms of just the storytelling side of things, because you did bring up the feature reporting, you've done so many different types of roles, feature reporting, rinkside, hosting, the list goes on. Particularly on the storytelling side, people don't realize all the work that goes into it and the natural ability you kind of just have to have with people to be able to evoke emotion and get these kinds of stories. And you just, from watching you as much as I have, you have this very special way of connection and locking in with somebody. And it's something, it's a really, really special gift that you have. Wow. Wow. Are you so good at your job? (laughs) Another way to put it. No, well, it's very, very kind of you to say, um, (laughs) uh, you know, how do you get someone at ease? I think partly is that you are at ease. (laughs) They're at ease. If you're at ease, if you're nervous, they'll be nervous. Um, and, and even now, obviously we're all adjusting to zoom interviews and so to me there's an extra challenge in that because i mean it's easy in that we can decide to do an interview and like can do it the next day as opposed to okay book the flight book the hotel book the crew get it all i mean so there is an ease with doing it this year but i do feel there is a bit of a difference when you're not in the room and actually talking Mm -hmm. to the person face to face um but whether it is on zoom or in person I, I do feel like you just you have to find the way to put them at ease. And, you know, maybe I would go back to um, with with age does come wisdom and comfort within yourself, w- which does help me be at ease with myself, which I think helps them as well. Um, I'm also not somebody that like I'm not a Dateline NBC gotcha kind of reporter, right? Like if I'm, if I'm there, it's usually they know why I'm there. I'm either just to talk about the great season that they're having, or I'm there to talk about, you know, something really bad that happened in their lives or, you know, they've decided they want to share something. Cause I also don't like, if it is something that is of a more personal nature, I'll reach out ahead of time and, and let them know. And I'll, I'll just give an example. Um, season before last, Nate Thompson was playing for the Montreal Canadiens at the time. And I just noticed on his Instagram, he had posted um, his sobriety coin. And, you know, he was celebrating his, I think at that point, second year of sobriety. And I thought, oh, wow. And so, was, you know, dug a little bit and saw a few times where he had talking about, talked about his sobriety and the path that, that he went um, in getting there. But I thought, oh, I wonder if he would be open to reaching out. Well, you know, of course, you go through the team to put in the request, but something like that. I'm not going to set up a sit down <laughs> interview with him and then spring it on him that, oh, well, this is what like we could talk hockey, but it's actually your life story that I really mm-hmm. want to talk. So I actually reached out to him. Um, and just said, look, just wanted to know, would you be comfortable sharing your story of your sobriety? And he's like, yeah, I think I'm ready. So spoke to him. I spoke to his wife. Like there were conversations that happened before even getting to that point. And even then I knew he was a little nervous and I'm a little nervous because I don't know how it's going to, to come out. But you know what? It's just he happens to be a hockey player and I happen to be a reporter, but to me, the best interviews are when you kind of forget that there are lights and cameras around, you're just having a conversation with that person. And maybe in some cases it helps depending on who the person is. It maybe helps that, um, I understand the life 
of a hockey player because I grew up with them. You know, I know what it's like and I know what the game day routine is like. And I know um, the highs of it. I know the lows of it. I know the, the challenges that come with it too. And I don't know, maybe that does help people um, think I can trust her with my story. I don't, I don't know, but like I said, whatever it is, you, you know, you know that you're doing your job well when, like I said, you forget there are a bunch of other people in the room recording this. It's just a conversation that you're having. I remember seeing that piece and how powerful it was and it kind of got my wheels turning. It's easy sometimes to do the fun, lighthearted stories, but stories like that are are challenging and oftentimes the product is something that you're really proud of. Is there another story that comes to mind that you were really proud of the end result and, and what came of it? Yeah, I mean, and, and ironically, so many of them are the ones that kind of have nothing to do with hockey. Right. You know, it, yeah. it, the common theme is they're all hockey players, but and I'm not saying there still aren't some like it's it is fun talking to players, like especially players who are at the top of their game and just trying to understand them mm-hmm. uh, and how they got there and what they continue to do to stay there once they've gotten there. Those those are neat. But, you know, I, I think sometimes too even Luke Richardson, when he um he and his wife, Stephanie, lost their daughter, Darren, by suicide. And, um, you know, they were living in Ottawa. He was an assistant coach with the Ottawa Senators at the time. He had played with my brother in Edmonton. And again, I just knew, I mean, after you give it time after, um, you know, a teen, their teenage daughter dies of suicide. But then, you know, most people want to do something that will help others after dealing with something as, and that was what Nate Thompson, that's also why he wanted to do it. The reason he wanted to tell his story is because it would help others. And I remember him even saying after we had done the interview, how many other people he heard from players in the league, others who came forward and shared their stories that some of which, you know, they hadn't shared with anybody before. That's why he did it for Luke Richardson and his wife they had decided to start a campaign, do it for Darren to just bring up the topic of teenage suicide because, you know, it's an epidemic. And for them to share the story of their wonderful daughter and all of the things that she had accomplished in her life and the fact that for them, this came out of left field. They did not see signs, which in and of itself should be signs for other people to just always check in. Like, don't always assume everything is is just fine. Um, so it helped them with kicking, kicking off their do it for Darren foundation. And, and again, I just, I was just so grateful that they chose, um, me as a vehicle to help get the word out there, um, to the hockey community, but let's face it and, and beyond. So it's to me when, when people decide, especially if it's big, tough hockey players that everyone thinks are invincible when they, when they decide to share those parts of them that, you know, 
aren't always the easiest to share, that to me can sometimes be the most impactful ones. And that seems to be a common denominator between people in our positions. As you, When you ask us our favorite players or our favorite moments or stories, they very rarely answer with a hockey moment. It's always about the kind of the things that go on maybe behind the scenes that you could bring to the forefront. And I look at your role as a features reporter as kind of like a columnist where you can take on maybe some of these passion projects and have a little bit more creative freedom. So do you feel like that's kind of revived you because you could do things that you really are passionate about that maybe in the day to day of hosting, you don't get the opportunity to to talk about? Absolutely. And for me, quite often, I would come up with um, feature story ideas from doing games because, you know, when you do a game, Stormy, you're looking for, you know, little interesting tidbits that you can in 30 seconds or less tell within a broadcast. So I would often, in researching for being a ringside reporter, come up with a story and have a chance to talk to, when we could talk to the players (laughs) face-to-face, about an interesting angle that I didn't know about them. And then, you know, I would sort of tuck that away for the next time, you know, I could, I have time to do an actual feature. So I will say that those are the things that just bring me the most joy because, And that's the thing, like a a ringside reporter is such a hard job, in my opinion, because you never have enough time to to do anything you want to do, whether it's interviewing the player at intermission or telling a story in games. So the fact that you have to be so concise to get your point across um, is the tough part of that job. So to me, that's that's that role. But when I can take tidbits from that role and kind of expand upon them and be able to exhale and know that you've got, and I'm lucky enough that I work for a network that, I mean, still time, you know, when you're on air, time is always the enemy. It's like, no, 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 we don't have that. We don't have two minutes for that, or we don't have five minutes for that. But I'm lucky that, you know, I work for a network and with producers that if the story warrants the time, we'll find the time. Um, So yeah, I think creatively, that's where I get the most joy. You did a, um, a big picture with Marc-Andre Fleury relatively mm-hmm. recently. And uh, I wanted to take a page out of your interviewing notebook for this one really quickly. A mm-hmm. uh, little rapid fire. If you oh. could quickly just sum up when I give you, when I say something to you, just the yep. first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. okay. <laughs> Ready? Okay. Ready. Darren Millard. Ah, Mallard. <laughs> awesome guy. We, we, we started, to, sorry, I know this is not rapid fire, but we started together at Sportsnet. He, he lived a few streets away from me. He helped me so much at the beginning of my career. I cannot tell you, but. Oh, Nicest no, human being. Just a good. I think I've ever man. met. Just, just a good, yes, good Just man. a good person. Well, yeah, he absolutely agreed. adores you back uh, for the record. And Gary Lawless. Oh my God. <laughs> Teddy bear. Teddy bear. Love Gary. You guys are lucky. You have a lot of wonderful people that work with you. I'm we sure. inherited what five older brothers. Oh yeah. That's At so this, sweet. Which it's all of the lovely things. Gary said this. I hope he hears this too. Cause he goes, Oh, Alyssa's like a, like a sister. I go, yeah. Or a daughter. He goes, 
nope, my daughter never makes me as angry as you do. <laughs> so he had a bit more colorful words that he threw. Yeah, oh, I'm sure that he was did. the gist of it. He goes, oh, you know, I never, I never get this annoyed at my daughter. And I'm like, I, I can, I can handle that. Then. <laughs> That's awesome. But we have, we have a lucky, we, we're very lucky to have the group that we do. Yes. And so we have two quick things for you before we go. This might be part of the rapid fire too. Okay. I read this online. I don't know if this is true. Did you make a guest appearance on Friends? No. And that okay. is, that's in my Wikipedia, in Wikipedia. where it got there. And I don't know how to, how to fix it. You're like, I saw that and I tried to verify it. And no. I was like, but I, I will tell you though, a funny <laughs> story. I will tell you, and I'll send you a screenshot. Um, just a quick story about friends. When I worked at the hockey hall of fame, they sent me to LA with the cup. Again, it would have been in 95. That was a good year. Um, to, the NHL was shooting Stanley Cup promos with Matthew Perry at the height of the fame. That's of amazing. Friends. So I got to not only meet Matthew Perry, he's like, you traveled with the cup? I said, yeah, I brought it from Toronto. He goes, you have the coolest job in the world. <laughs> so I think you have the coolest job in the world. So I get to meet Matthew Perry. Next thing I know, I'm an extra in, in the commercial that they shot. And I found it on YouTube the other day. So I'll send you a screenshot Please with Matthew do. Perry and, and me in, in the crowd in the background. So someone must have seen that and just figured yeah. it was from. I, maybe that's where that came yeah. from. Because honestly, I have no idea where that came yeah, from. Yeah, I tried to confirm it. And I was like, I can't I can't find this no. anywhere online. So I'm just going to go to the source. So true. So folks well, out there, you can't always believe everything that you read. Yeah, especially yeah. on Wikipedia. That's why we especially. can't cite that in school. And you're like, I, I am all, also an actress, but I stuck to the sauce here. So. <laughs> Well, I was, yes, I was in a movie. I was in Saw. I was. Uh, played a, and that came because Oren Kulis, who's one of the producers of all the Saw movies, at the time was part owner of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And so I had done games and he knew me. They shoot all the Saw movies in Canada, in Toronto. And he phoned me one day and said, um, I want you to be in my next movie. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's really funny. He goes, no, I, I do. And I'm like, <laughs> Or, and I'm not an actress. It's like, don't believe my Wikipedia. I'm not an actress. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just need someone to play a talk show host. And I'm looking at all these, uh, you know, demos of actresses pretending to be a talk show host. And I thought, well, th that's what you do. So I'm like, okay. So yeah, that is with that one. <laughs> I was in a movie. Okay. So you were, you were in a movie, yes. not friends. No, I was going to pick your brain for about an saw. hour about yeah. friends. Cause I'm a big friends diehard. So <laughs> you escaped that one, but yeah. something we like to ask all of our guests before we let them go is their rookie reminder. So what would you go back and tell rookie Christine? And what would you like to remind her as she is entering this crazy hockey industry? Mm, wow. That is good. Well, when it comes, I would say this, when it comes to, um, and I was lucky enough, I was lucky enough not to, I was lucky enough to start in this industry before social media. So I didn't have to put up with the wrath of, that I know everybody does now. And I will just say also the one thing that comes with age, you don't really care what people say about you if you don't know them. So all of that. But the, what I would say is you're never, you're never, it's never as bad as you thought it was. And it, and, and you're never as good as you sometimes think you are. So always keep in mind, like there'll be times where I was like, I was doing a live hit and they threw to me and I froze for 10 minutes because I couldn't remember what I was going to ask Nestler say. And then you look back and it's like, 
oh, okay. Well, I know that I was sort of, or I stumbled there for a while, but it wasn't as bad as you, as you thought, but also, yeah, don't, don't read. All, I mean, it was lovely to hear your compliments, ladies, but I still, it's like, you still, you're never as good as you can sometimes believe that you are and never as bad. And just try to keep an even keel. Um, listen to the people that you respect and that, you know, are looking out for you, be it with criticism or praise. Um, but don't, yeah, don't let the idiots get you down. <laughs> don't give them, don't give them the time of day because that attention is their oxygen and I just don't choose to give it to them. My dad will appreciate that statement so much because from the day I started in this business, that was something he always told me because he, he was a baseball player back in the day. And he was oh, like, you're yeah. never as good as you think you are. And you're never as bad as you think you are. Yeah. You're there for a reason. And yes. I just, I, I love that. So you're my soul sister. I've decided. <laughs> I love it. But <laughs> as we talked about, uh, definitely have to utilize our time wisely. So thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate this more than you know. And if I could keep you for five hours, I would, but I understand I, you have more important things to do. <laughs> Not more important things to do, just other things to do. But uh, <laughs> honestly, the, the time has flown and that's always a good thing. Yes. Um, I could, I feel like I could do the same and I can't wait till I can actually see you in person again sometime, hopefully we soon. We'll have a big hug for you when we can yes. see you in person. <laughs> Look forward to that for sure. And yeah, hi to Gary and uh, Darren and all of the gang uh, in Vegas. There are so many things that I didn't even get to to asking her that I wanted to talk about. She's just she's so well spoken. She's got such great stories. I could talk to her for hours, I swear. She's so kind and so down to earth too. And I feel like in setting up the interview and before and after the interview, she has thanked us so many times for having her on, which is crazy because we are so thankful that she made the time to hop on with us. But she is I'm like, why are you thanking us? This is great. <laughs> I actually you feel bad, though, that her memory of me is associated with such a, like, with the shutdown of the world, essentially, but it's the a fact memory. that, I mean, <laughs> that it was such a historic day, though, for the all-female crew to put on that broadcast, and that I thought, I just remember that day being so cool, that of all days that you get to meet someone you look up to, it's, you know, an International Women's Day broadcast, and so really, really fun, grateful for, for that. There's so many things, like I said, though, that I want wanted to talk to her about like she has there's this photo out there of her and at Wayne Gretzky's like rooftop watching the OJ Simpson Bronco car chase and like there's all of these just <laughs> random things that I want to know more about yeah I feel like she has great stories she shared a you know kind of touched on a few but I feel like she's somebody who I would love to just grab a drink with <laughs> and hear her just speak unscripted too because I feel like she has some really awesome stories to share well and hopefully we'll be able to do that uh relatively soon you know the world is slowly but surely getting back to normal we have fans in the stands capacity everywhere keeps getting raised and I, I can't wait to see just like how all out Golden Knights fans go with the playoffs coming because these guys need need and are so glad that they have that home ice advantage in the first round against a team in Minnesota. Alyssa, you know, has had the Golden Knights number historically. It's been a tough series with the Wild. 
It has. And yeah, Kelly McCrimmon actually talked about this once the Golden Knights realized who they were facing in Minnesota. And there's not going to be an easy path to the Stanley Cup. There never is. And yeah, maybe the Golden Knights would have liked to see St. Louis in this first round over Minnesota, just because historically they have had a tougher time with them. But at the end of the day, you're, you're not facing teams that are going to go down easy in this at this time of year, this time of season. So no team, there's no easy path uh, this time of year. And like you said, it's been, you know, the Golden Knights are 5-10-1 all-time versus the Wild, which is not their best record. I think they, they also struggled with this team the most this entire season. But that's, you know, playoffs are, are really a whole new time of year. So what, what do you think is going to come out of these next few games? Yeah, well, first of all, just given the weirdness of this season, I look at a game in which GM Kelly McCrimmon, who you're just talking about, and an AHL coaching staff was on the bench. We had an eight-hour intermission in Tahoe. The Golden Knights had to change hotels on a game day, played a game with 15 skaters that they started with, stoppages, COVID, rescheduled games, false positives. Like, they've gone through so much this year. Of course they get this matchup, like, is kind of the vibe I got. It's just very on trend with this season, I would guess. Um, And it's going to be a good test. We saw how physical and chippy those last two games against Minnesota in the regular season went and they were competitive and they were down to the very I mean one of them went to overtime one of them nearly went to overtime the Golden Knights barely lost in regulation because Kirill Kaprizov did Kirill Kaprizov things but I think that the Golden Knights are going to be not a different team in playoffs, but they are a very battle-tested group. Meanwhile, Minnesota's got, you know, young components, guys that haven't really been in this situation. I I think that it'll be... I think it's going to be competitive. I think it'll be fun. I think that the Golden Knights ultimately should be the better team and come out on top of this series and ideally make a Stanley Cup run. Um, But I just, I can't get over it. I thought it was so typical that this ended up being the first matchup. The Golden Knights have never won in regulation in Minnesota. And I think that changes next week. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to get out of this round without winning any any games in regulation there. I mean, it'll be possible, but that certainly won't be the easy route. But one of the stats that always... These stats always weird me out because once you hear them, you're like, that doesn't make sense. But the fact that the Golden Knights have outscored the Wild this year (laughs) and are still 3-4-1, those stats are always like, they're always so backwards to me. But that does tell the Golden Knights, like, hey, we we can score against this team. And scoring is not an issue. And you're looking, you look at the the top scorers. So Alex Tuck has three goals against the Wild. Stone has two goals, eight assists. So you're going to see your hopefully top guys able to continue producing during during this series. And it was very rare this season for for like the Golden Knights in general to have lulls. When they did it was very few and far between. I, I think that no, they, they never lost more than three straight. Um, and they have had the goal production like you're talking about. Like, they lead the league in goal differential, and their goalies yeah. <laughs> just won the Jennings Trophy for the fewest goals allowed this season. So um, they definitely have the pieces there to do something special this postseason. And I mean, that's something Pete DeBoer even addressed the Golden Knights after the loss to Colorado when, you know, their destiny was no longer in their hands, that he was so proud of this team and that if they play with the character and commitment that they played in that game where they started down three skaters to start a game in the postseason, that, you know, this 
this run could be pretty cool. Could be something very unique and special. And something I always think about too is a lot of times the teams who do have the quote unquote easier paths or easier teams, you know, you're it kind of goes back to what Pete DeBoer talked about when the Golden Knights were on that really long stretch of winning games where it's harder to correct things when you're winning. And in a way, you want to, you want to be playing your best hockey right now. And when you're playing a team that is competitive, like Minnesota is, and like this series will be, you your mistakes are more on display, but it's an opportunity to fix them. And when you're just, if you're sweeping a series, it's going to be a little bit harder to look back on and say, hey, here's what we can do differently or do better and you want to be challenged and in a way forced to fix all those things when you can early on in the playoffs to make a longer run and I feel like you usually see those teams at the end of it they usually don't have super easy paths there a lot of times it's teams who you know maybe went to six seven games a few times and who met those those tougher teams and who maybe took down a top seed um, on the way so that's what I feel like there's there is an opportunity here with the Golden Knights maybe facing the tougher opponent in Minnesota. And we keep hearing how you have to be playing playoff hockey before you get there and these guys have been playing playoff hockey the last week and a half with the opponents that they have been playing, the types of games that have been there. Um, So yeah, it's it's not going to be easy. The Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy in professional sports to win for a reason. So you would expect nothing less. And so when, when you look around the league though, like who do you think are the teams that get out of each division. Do you have a prediction for who maybe your final four will be? I wanted to ask you, I thought it would be fun if we both just picked our Stanley Cup final matchup. Okay. In how many games? So I know who I want it to be. If that well, makes we sense. We obviously both want it to be. I think we have the same answers now that you're saying that. But we obviously both want it to be the Golden Knights. But my prediction is Golden Knights, Hurricanes, Golden Knights and Six. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that's what I want. Like, I I mean, yeah. you know, of course, obviously, <laughs> I used to uh, work in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, the Canes are not too far away. So I, yeah, the, if there was another hockey team that I, I really enjoy to watch and support, it's the Canes and I think Rod Brindamore is a riot and like yeah that's that's exactly we're so on the same page right now I know and I wanted to say it before you did because I knew you were going to say the same thing so I wanted to beat you to it but I like in six though I would love I would love it to go to seven this reminds me by the way I, I just think the thrill of the Stanley Cup final taking it all the way down to the wire I love game sevens I live, eat, and breathe game sevens. It's life. Um, But this reminded me, so the NFL this past week obviously did their schedule releases and everything like that. And I used to work for the Carolina Panthers. And so I keep tabs on different things that they post. And their schedule release this year was very creative and different. And the very last game of the regular season, they play against Tampa Bay. And they basically the premise of their schedule release was there doing a brainstorm for ideas of what they could do for each week and then they actually show it so for their last game the kid was like you know what um i think that we really need to do something special to acknowledge the champs they're a really good team and then they flash to the tampa bay lightning winning the stanley cup (laughs) instead of the buccaneers (laughs) and it was electric it was such a good burn and yeah that's so so good it was great (laughs) that's really funny very creative i love seeing all those schedule releases 
NHL or sorry, NFL content teams are just so creative. That's one of my favorite days. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really well done. And the Raiders did a really great schedule release also. So yeah, if you guys are interested in those kinds of things, go check them out on Twitter. Cause I, I live for it. I, I briefly mentioned that Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard won the Jennings trophy. And um, that goes for the team basically that gives up the fewest goals in a season. The Golden Knights gave up 124 for the lowest combined goals against in the NHL. And it's kind of a team award. I wish that Alec Martinez could get his name on there for consideration (laughs) with all the shots he blocked this year. But so cool, I think, for that tandem to get rewarded for the hard work they had this year. Yeah, I mean, very well-deserved. And Robin Leonard, uh, you might have seen, sent out such a kind tweet after that saying, it's an honor to be able to play with and get to know Mark. It's a fun prize for both of us to win together with the hard work of our entire team. Been really cool to see the special season Mark has had. And I believe that's where, <coughs> excuse me, that's where the Vesna belongs. Now the fun begins. And that was just a very cool nod from one teammate to another. And really just shows the relationship that those two have. And for Leonard to be saying, yeah, Fleury deserves the Vesna, which you know people around the league are saying. But for your fellow goalie partner to be saying that, that's that's really cool. I thought that was a very classy move. I 100% agree with you. And of course, you think back to last year's postseason and how from the outside that relationship was portrayed and viewed. And now being around those guys and seeing how they do interact with each other, that obviously they're competitors and they want to go out there and and win every night and they want to be the guy. But they are friends, too, and they have a relationship and they help each other in different situations. They talk about opponents together. It's it's not this like hostile thing that I think that the outside world wants it to be and that tweet was just such good evidence of that I mean Pete DeBoer was quoted recently as saying that for him the single most important reason that the Golden Knights have the record they have this year and are sitting where they are is because they've had a fresh goalie in every night and it's been a rotation of two elite goaltenders so um, obviously Leonard missed that 17 game stretch where where Flurry came in but aside from the one game when Pete DeBoer started Flower against Colorado, it's been a straight rotation the rest of the way. He believes in both of these guys. And I'm very interested to see what role that plays in the postseason. And if you do pick a starter and ride that guy or you continue with what's worked for your group, which has been a rotation. Yeah, or if you reset the rotation, too, and play Flower two games in a row and then start the rotation from there. So I think we can speculate for a while on what this is going to look like. And Kelly McCrimmon, when asked about it earlier, said, you know, it's going to be Pete DeBoer's decision, but we have two capable goaltenders who are a big part of what we were able to accomplish this year. And at the end of the day, if one is named the go-to starter, if the rotation continues if it changes halfway through both goalies played a major part in the Golden Knights finishing second in the league just a smidge behind getting the president's trophy going into this playoff run like the boat this is going to be if the Golden Knights lift the Stanley Cup at the end of this that'll be 
the work of both of them, not who's named the starter if there is somebody over this next little bit. And I mean, they're two totally different guys with totally different styles. And I think that's kind of an interesting concept, too, is that teams have to prepare for them differently because of that. So what role could that play in a seven game series and the race to four wins? And you kind of wonder, too, if it felt like. Pete DeBoer never really looked at the opponent and made a decision on goalie based off of maybe the opponent's strength or weaknesses. But you wonder in these playoff series if he feels like maybe Fleury or Leonard will match up better against now the Wild and future opponents. So it'll be interesting to see. And it's um, probably a lot of the, this is, these are questions that we'll never have answers to. But like I said, it's kind of fun to speculate on. And I'd love to just be a fly on the wall <laughs> during those meetings to I know. See all the info and breakdowns and everything they have. And uh, I will never be, but. <laughs> I think about that all the time, though, just to be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations because Pete DeBoer does keep a lot of that close to the vest. Like, even when he and Kelly McCrimmon have been asked about injuries for players for like their status come postseason, like, we don't really know. So that's one thing I will say. Obviously, we're talking about so many positive things about the Golden Knights right now and what an incredible season that they've had. But I mean, they're they're down. They've been down some guys recently, too. So I think health is going to be a major factor in the success or lack thereof that could come up with the Golden Knights. Like, are you able to get Alec Martinez back, who has been arguably your best, if not your best defender this season. He leads the league by a mile in blocked shots. And um, I mean, then your top scorer, Max Pacioretty, has been been available recently. So are you able to get him back? These are big question marks. But we do know Ryan Reeves is back on the ice. And according according (laughs) to Mark Stone, uh, hopefully that means guys aren't uh, chirping as much because they know what Revo can bring, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be chirping any team that has has Ryan Reeves on its bench that game. I will say that much. So, <laughs> well, okay. I think that'll that's a good kind of preview for this first round of the postseason. Yeah. Game one Sunday at noon Pacific time on NBC. Then the next two games will also be um, with us on AT and T Sportsnet. So tune in, watch Dave and Shane, Darren, Mike, the whole gang, um, and then back to an NBC exclusive for Game Four. Everything else is kind of TBD after that. Um, But Alyssa, I understand you have some social media questions. I do. I have a a serious fun question and then an off the wall question. So we'll start with the more serious one. So Lynn on Facebook asked us, do you remember how you felt your first day on the job here? Ooh, yes. So my first day on the job or my first game? Is that kind of twofold? Probably. I, I mean, if your first day was just filling out paperwork, let's skip that. Okay, yeah. My first my first day on the job, obviously, like, it was a lot of just being introduced to everyone, and that was a little yeah. bit overwhelming. I went to lunch with you and Sage, uh, uh, who does our PR, and um, Gordon, who does social media with you. I remember that. And, like, it was just Zabas. good. Yes. Which is mm-hmm. not, oh, my gosh. Love. That was when I learned that Sage Salmons <laughs> is obsessed with Zabas and eats it multiple times a week, every week. We just need to get him a franchise. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that was just a lot of introductions and getting to know people, which was fun to kind of get bearings on who was going to be my team. But as far as, like, my first game nerves were so heightened to be on I the, can imagine. Yeah, like, to do um, – because before COVID, we would do pregame bench interviews. The guys would skate up to you on the bench, and I'd ask them a couple questions. And – 
that just adrenaline rush I felt that day was like nothing else. Just the wind from the guys skating around down there and, you know, just being in this position that you'd never in a million years think that you would be in and how just loud T-Mobile Arena is and wondering <laughs> if I'd be able to hear the players answers and stuff and so it was, yeah it was my first game with the Golden Knights like I'll never ever forget it I just remember so many details from that day and it was so special to me your turn so my first day was before we had City National Arena was, I don't, yeah, I don't think ground was even broken here at that point. So we were still working in temporary office space and there were seven of us in one person's office that was made for like one executive. And we were literally just piled in like pretty much elbow to elbow for the first four months or so on the job. And it was crazy because the staff was so much smaller then. So I, just for those listening, I started in May of 2017. So it was a little bit before the expansion draft. We were a few weeks away when I started. It was like, hey, we have a jersey coming. We have the expansion draft. We have the season. We're going on our first road trip. Like, everything happened immediately. So the first day, I remember I was like, okay, like this, we are just packed in like sardines and this is probably the best case scenario for our group right now because we are just all figuring this out and we need to just be a team right now so it was there's so many memories Gary Lawless actually for some reason was back in that office space this weekend and sent me Sage and Eric a photo of him back in the office and I'm like man how did we all fit in there like we were just packed in I remember whenever someone ate lunch you were smelling everyone (laughs) lunch and we were just like you could hear someone breathing all day but no it was it was so much it was just hilarious to look back on now that we are where we are just kind of where things literally started where it all began I love that yeah uh so Jedi VGK awesome name on Twitter wants to know do you like pineapple on your pizza yes I do and don't call me the worst Italian ever. I know, I, I was know, going I to. know. But <laughs> there is this place in California when I used to live in um, San Diego. So in Escondido. California Pizza Kitchen? No. What? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> it's called Killer Pizza from Mars. And they have these, pe- this, it's a pepperoni pizza with pineapple on it. And it was the first time that I'd ever had that combination. And in with ranch dipping, like the whole thing, um, they have the best ranch I've ever had in my whole life. I could drink it. It's so good. Um, but yeah, that's what got it started for me. And I've really just never looked back. Some places can't do it, though. Like I, I can't get pineapple on my pizza at Domino's or something like that. It has to be a very specific type of pizza but I don't like a Hawaiian pizza so I don't know yeah I don't I'm not a big fan of Hawaiian I I with okay how do I put this I feel like if there's pineapple on my pizza I'm not gonna be that person that picks it off but I don't feel like I would ever be in a position where that was what I would choose oh it's so good though people I think get hung up on is the pineapple going to be hot pineapple or is it going to be cold pineapple? And like, that's kind of a weird thing for people. Why am I baking my pineapple? But haven't you ever had a teriyaki chicken 
something or yeah, other. Yeah, and I was going to say, really the only time I can think of it being okay is when it's more of like a barbecue chicken style pizza. But then that's not... I mean, it is a pizza, but that's not really what I think of when I think of pizza. Well, I am Club Pineapple. Let's go. Yeah, I'm not sold on it. I'm just, I'm indifferent. I used to hate it. So I've come a long way. I used to be like, I used to pick it off, but I've grown as a person and an eater. You're such an adult now. Congratulations. Thank you you very much, Stormy. (laughs) So are you. Oh man, that's not true at all. I am not. No, it's not. (laughs) I am a 28 year old (laughs) child, but that is neither here nor there. Who is today saying, oh, Mike McKenna was saying, he's like, you know, it's really hard when I'm trying to eat healthy and watch what I'm eating when I'm back home because all my kids want is like chicken tenders and pizza and grilled cheeses and I was like that's what I want <laughs> like that's literally so my diet he's like oh it's hard to like live with kids who want that I'm like it's hard to be a human adult who wants that story I put cheese so I know you relate I but. put cheese on everything I drink ranch like I am just yeah ketchup makes most things taste better it's just science I think that's a good note to end our show on today. Everybody, if you're listening, please, um, you know, tell your friends about us. Subscribe, rate, leave some comments. Tell us what you want to hear about. We love your questions every week. But that's going to do it for this episode. Game Misconduct.